0: How do you recalibrate when you're successful but aren't enjoying the process at all? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers.
1: Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman.
0: A lot of us are fortunate in our industry and we gain success. And we think that by gaining success, we'll automatically gain happiness. And what all too many of us find out, either at that point or while we're on the road to that point, is that those two things aren't synonymous. What we don't know is how to get ourselves unstuck and our guest today is an expert at getting unstuck. His name is Rob Tull. He's at Path 2 Coaching, and I will tell you that, we'll, we'll ask him to tell you a little bit about himself, but his his educational and professional accomplishment looks like two people's worth of stuff, but he found a place in his career where despite his success, he wasn't happy. So, what do you do when traditional success isn't enough? And with that, welcome, Rob. Hi. Welcome, David. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Uh, it's our pleasure. So before we get into Path Two, because it, it wasn't just a catchy name for for a company or for an endeavor, you had a Path One before there was a Path Two. Tell us a little bit about that, please.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I graduated college as a finance major, and you know all of the institutions that pass through. It's kind of like you always focus on the end destination, and so it's always, hey, if you get good grades, you get you get into a good university, you get a good job, and and so forth, and everything was causal and sequential. Once you pass through this hurdle, then things get And so my first path was really following what everybody else was doing, which was, you know, make sound decisions. Life wasn't about chasing your, your passions or your desires. It was about happiness was at the end after you achieve certain things. And so that was kind of the path I set out on. And I felt, you know, that's where the majority of people were going. So I ended up in the financial services sector. And at different points, I had that realization that that really wasn't my passion. I, In my heart, I was an artist. I wanted to go to art school. But then when I saw what an artist makes relative to an accountant, it was like there was a no brainer. It was like, OK, well, I'm going to choose something that provides a higher quality of life because that's what I equated it to. At different points in my career, I I went from being part of a regulator uh, into a consultant and then an executive with a financial services firm. And at different points, there there were indicators that I, I wasn't happy. And there was actually one event that stood out that was really obvious to me where somebody had, you know, after a presentation, somebody had Called me out and said, you know, hey, you really missed your calling, and that was an indicator to me that okay, it's starting to show. Like it it can manifest. Like somebody's seeing a natural talent in me that I'm not harnessing on a day to day basis, and that was leading to a lot of self frustration and stress. And really, so it was it was that question of, you're stuck on this path. What do you do? And I I felt truly stuck. I was at a, a very high level executive. I had a lot of family obligations. I was the primary breadwinner in my house, and all of that stress of feeling like I was not addressing all of my emotional needs, while I was achieving you know, success after success after success, my resume is nauseating. But it was one of those things where it, it had no value to me. It wasn't providing those emotional elements. And that created a lot of toxic exhaust. And it eventually destabilized all the primary pillars in my life, my, my my sense of self, my health, all of my wealth, uh, and all of my connections, and it went through essentially a dissolution of my entire family, and so it dissolved the family unit. And I was, I had a partner, I had kids, typical like house in the suburbs with the electric car and all the fun stuff, and it basically led that my this path that that first path I went to by not addressing my emotional needs, and continuing to increase the level of dissatisfaction I had in life ultimately led to a decision of, hey, I feel like I don't have any choices and I'm, I'm stuck. I need to make the ultimate choice, the, the most extreme choice. And so it, there was actually a, a failed suicide attempt because my primary goal was to offer financial resources to my family so that they could live a life of ease without regard for my own desire. And so that kind of seemed like, okay, I can get unstuck and provide the financial windfall for my family. You know, I just have to clock out. And, and that obviously, A, it didn't work, but B, it was enlightening to me. And it was enlightening because it was the question of, is the problem me or is the problem my path? And that's what I realized is it wasn't me it wasn't the choices I made. It was the path I was on in that causal and sequential structure I was looking at between emotional fulfillment and you know, objective goals. Like, hey, if you achieve certain things, you then feel a certain way. And so that really allowed me to step back and reevaluate how to, how to reprioritize things in my life to not just change direction, but to change the energy in which I, I moved in that direction. So that's kind of that's a long winded explanation as to how I kind of went from the path one concept to, okay, I gotta change paths and get on path two. And that's where the name of the, the firm comes from.
0: You know, there's a phrase that's commonly used called work life balance. I'm not particularly fond of that phrase because I, I don't think it's descriptive of the problem, but this is way more than that, isn't it?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's so work-life balance is that idea of, you know, are we spending time equally? It's the idea that if you had um, two potted plants and you had a single jug of water, how are you going to divide the water between the two plants and maintain two things that are that we keep separate? How are we going to maintain them both well? And it's it's a losing game because it's based on time and time is finite. And so it never works. This was actually a little bit more than this. It was about the idea of prioritizing the emotional or specifically identifying the emotional rewards that I wanted to get from all of my efforts and then prioritizing that. So if I sat there and said, well, I wanted to be, you know, the thought leader and the premier executive in my field at what I do that's a great goal to have. But the question really is, well, why? What did I think I was gonna get from that? And so what happens is if my sense of belonging or my sense of worth is coming from that achievement, And now there's barriers that keep me from that achievement. Like, hey, Rob, you can't be the best at what you do because you're lacking certain degrees. Or, hey, that's great that you're the head of a firm that's got twenty billion under management, but you really should be, you know, leading your department of a hundred billion dollar firm. So you'll never so it's that thing like all these barriers pop up when you have an objective goal. And so then it felt like that emotional goal, that sense of belonging and that sense of worth was never going to get addressed. And so when that happens, it's this feeling of like, oh my God, I I don't have any choices. I can't move forward. And now there's this ache, there's this longing that's going to essentially metastasize and turn into all these toxic byproducts that are going to affect my life. So the idea of like work-life balance is kind of like splitting your time and or energy evenly. This is more about looking through to understand why we're doing certain things and then to say, if that's an emotional need that's not getting addressed, I should probably prioritize that because I can't control the objective goals in front of me. I mean, I can, I can put my best effort forward, but I can't control the outcome of it. So why hang emotional needs on the outcome? So that's really what it's about.
1: And now, a word from our sponsor. It's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear, perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, we can help. Visit us at shiftshapersstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients, crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at shiftshapersstrategies.com. That's shiftshapersstrategies.com. And now, back to our discussion.
0: Where does this myth that success equals happiness come from? And how does that get so ingrained in us until one day, at least for some of us, that light bulb flickers on?
2: <laughs> that's a that's a great question. That's part of the American dream. If you think about it, like what <laughs> the American dream is you get to do what you want to do and then you'll be happy. And so it's that idea of we get to, you know, achieve certain accomplishments. If you think of even the stories we tell ourselves, like Tell ourselves the examples I've seen are like Rocky and Cinderella, and it's like, well, if you win, then you become happy. You're before you win, you're nothing. After you win, you're great, and and so it kind of gets embedded in us. And when you look at the structures that we flow through as a society and as a culture, it really does hinge on we're an outcome driven society and worth is, is, you know, determined by outcome. So when you look at just the schooling system, right, kids that get the best grades are rewarded the most. And, and not only are they rewarded, if you think about how we encourage students to perform in school, if you just think back and I can know my own personal example, if there were times I was underperforming academically, the lecture I would get from my parents was Do you want to be a garbage man? Right? So, and what they were saying is, if you don't perform well, you won't have good opportunities. And if you don't have good opportunities, you won't be happy. Well, that whole statement is a fallacy, but it's repeated consistently in all aspects of society that we pass through. Teachers enforce it, parents enforce it, society at large enforces it. And so it's really easy to build up that model of, I have to perform a certain way in order to feel a certain way. And so that is the structure that really leads a lot of people and myself included to making choices that are outcome oriented, where it's not the question of, oh, am I actually going to enjoy this process at all? Right. So a lot of us picking it. If you think about when students pick colleges, a lot of times it's, well, what's the majors they offer and how good are they at that major? And will I be able to are they connected with organizations that provide internships and so forth? it's all what's it going to get me. It's all outcome-based. As opposed to, well, that's a miserable campus. It's dreary. It's in a terrible location. It doesn't have a good social life. I'm going to have an awful experience. And so th- we tend to ignore the quality of the path we're on because we get focused on the goal. And that's where I realized for me, and I think for a lot of other people, um, not only does it cause a lot of unnecessary stress, it actually you know, it, it degrades the quality of life that we experience. And it's what really fuels what is essentially long-term regret because we look back and say we wasted all of our time doing these miserable things hoping to get to one thing at the end that is absolutely uncertain because so many things can change the outcome things that are well beyond our control
0: speaking of things that are beyond our control uh, an awful lot of us have thought for years wow if i could only work from home if i didn't have to go to this danged office I'd feel better. Life would be great. I could spend more time with the dog and the kids and the the family and whatnot. Has working from home, just a quick question based on the quarantine, has working from home made this better or worse, this what you call stuckness? That's another great question. It's
2: both. Uh, The first is when people tend to think of that work from home mentality, especially families with young children, the operating premise is, well, the kids are in school because the only thing they see changing is, well, I go from my office to my house and everything else remains the same. And so this is a perfect example of uncertainty. And that sounds great on paper. But when the uncertainty says, by the way, Everyone's at home. That changes the dynamic radically. And where we run into a problem, and I think organizations are finally coming around to this, and they've done a great job of it, meaning meaning employers, is that just like work-life balance, we assume the two things are completely separate. So when we see coworkers at work, we see an individual. We don't see somebody that's got layers of family and connections and and you know values behind them or experiences it's goal oriented. It's purpose-based, right? So when we shift gears and say, by the way, we are going to fully integrate work and life where they are sharing the same minute and same energy. In other words, you only have so much energy to give and both of them are demanding it. We still felt stuck where work needs to get done during a certain time of day and with a certain level of priority. And the thing to really survive this environment where we are fully integrating work and life is we can no longer view them as separate spheres. We need to view ourselves as a fully integrated person that is, a, you know, one cohesive thing that is a blend of work and life. And when we think about that, the way to kind of maintain sanity is to say, okay, where am I going to put boundaries up? And it's not just boundaries of how am I going to divide work and life? It's how am I going to prioritize work and life. And one of the tools that I find very helpful is when people actually combine their to-do list, right? So if you dump your to-do list for work and life together, whether that's the, you know, the kids have a certain assignment that need to get done or there's certain priorities that need to get done in the household, as well as projects we're working on versus, you know, mundane tasks or routine tasks. then we put them together and prioritize knowing I only have so much time and only have so much energy. And now I can focus on the things that are the highest priority to me holistically, both as an employee or as, as an entrepreneur and as a member of my family, and then allowing ourselves to be flexible. And when you look at the studies of just time allocation, there's something like, I think it's something to the tune of almost three hours a day are lost on just emails for employees. Like white collar employees lose about three hours a day, just reading and responding to emails. And of that, employees say more than half Like two-thirds of that time is worthless emails. They have zero value to their job, like to what their objectives are. So when you think about reprioritizing, it's like, well, okay, do I need to deal with those emails during the work hours? Or can I do that marginally after my other combined set of priorities are addressed? So I think that's what people are facing right now is is that kind of fully integrated life as opposed to I'd like to just work from home and, and you know, save myself the commute and the cubicle farm.
0: I alluded to this a little while ago, but you use a phrase called structured stuckness. Yeah. What is that? And what are a couple of tools that we might be able to leave the audience with to help them? A, recognize it, and B, get unstuck.
2: Yeah. So so structured stuckness, that really comes from the institutions that, that we live in as a society. And I really do believe when we step back and look at it topographically, it is all designed, the structure that we follow is designed to create a level of stuckness. And the reason it's designed to create a level of stuckness is because there's an absolute focus on output and outcomes and it's not we're not really concerned with the quality of anything and in fact we celebrate the harder the quality of the path is that we're following we actually celebrate it like if you hear think of the phrase like no pain no gain and it's like oh enjoy the grind love to suffer and it's something that like in the past 10 to 15 years i've actually seen a lot more of it focused on embrace the suck the more miserable it is the better that is a crazy line of thinking when it comes to your life, as, <laughs> your life as a whole. It's one thing to apply that to a single discipline, right? I want to get better at a certain task. Therefore, I have to embrace the struggle of getting better at it. That's fine. But just have that as a mantra for a life is completely demoralizing. But that is, that's what sets up structured stuckness because what it teaches us to do is to ignore all of the symptoms of feeling stuck. And so what I mean by feeling stuck is we can't get what we want from life. And so we set out goals thinking goals are then going to lead to some sort of emotional reward or some sort of quality of life. And everybody's chasing the same thing. So we, as we set this objective goal for everybody you know, whether whether that's just in a particular industry or a particular field or, or phase of life and say, you need to cross this. And then you're allowed to be, you have permission to feel happy, or you believe you're going to feel happy. So A, we're all chasing the same thing, so there there creates a level of scarcity, because the thing could be a job position, it could be a material item, whether that's a home, a car, an experience, whatever it is. But not only do we create a level of scarcity, we create a level of competition within it. And so what happens is we all start to work very hard, and it becomes this sense of competition of, oh, I'm working harder, therefore... That's, you know, I'm better than the other person. So that emotional element remains beyond, it remains beyond our ability to achieve it. And when that happens, we create this, we feel stuck. And all those negative byproducts are things that we tend to overlook. And, and they, they affect health, and they affect wealth, they affect our connections. And so when I think about like a way to get unstuck, or to kind of you know, disconnect from that. The first thing I ask myself is, why is this goal important to me? Right? There's first order and second, co- second order benefits. The first order benefit might be, I want to save for college for my kids because I want to be able to send them to college. But the second order benefit might be, and once I save for college, I get to quit this miserable job and finally do what I want to do. Well, if college continues to get more expensive and something happens with my job, while well, saving for college becomes more difficult, The real pain I'm going to feel is that, oh, no, I can never quit this job now. I'm stuck and I can't do what I want to do. If I can look through that and say, what is the emotional benefit I need and prioritize that and say, well, you need to feel like you can do what you want to do, Rob, because then all the other dynamics around saving for college can change a million ways and it's not going to stress me out. Because then it's just a goal I'm trying to achieve. I'm not emotionally invested in it because it's affecting the quality of my life. So that's what I mean by structured stuckness and then how people can kind of move beyond that of looking through the goal to say, what am I trying to get from this in all of the
0: orders of consequences? So we've got to be careful not to be what I would call success lemmings and just blindly follow what we think is success. It's more important would you say to evaluate what's important to us emotionally and what's fulfilling to us and follow that towards success?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And every study shows that success does not lead to happiness. And that if you follow your happiness first, you actually have greater success.
0: And that is a great place to leave our conversation today. Rob Tall at Path 2 Coaching. Rob, thanks so much for sharing your expertise with our audience. Thank you, David. I really appreciate it.
1: The Shift Shapers Podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.